The following conversation originally aired on The Point on KPOV 88.9 FM, High Desert Community Radio in Bend, Oregon. Airing weekdays at 9 a.m., The Point is a half-hour, locally produced show focusing on people and events in Central Oregon. Now we're joined by a uh, another pianist and, and neuroscientist uh, uh, with OHSU, um, Dr. Larry Sherman. Dr. Sherman, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Well, thanks for having me. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. So, yeah, we're really excited uh, to have you uh, to talk about your presentation coming up at the Nancy R. Chandler Lecture Series, Every Brain Needs Music, The Neuroscience of Music Making and Listening. And that will be Tuesday, October 18th at 6.30 p.m. Uh, and so you are a professor in the Oregon National Primate Research Center at OSU, a neuroscientist and, and someone who's been studying the, the effects of music on the brain. What made you decide you wanted to start getting into the research and talking about and writing about with your upcoming book, the impact of both, both making music and listening to music on the brain? Yeah, so um, actually, I'm at OHSU, not OSU, but... Um, oh, sorry. Although, although I love OSU, go Beavers, right? So, <laughs> okay. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, um, so actually, my, my research in my lab, my day job, if you will, is focused on trying to find ways to repair the damaged, damaged brain. So we're looking at ways to help people with multiple sclerosis and Alzheimer's disease. And that's really highly molecular neuroscience and cellular neuroscience-based uh, but I have been involved with music my whole life and um, uh, have played, I've been a keyboardist, pianist, keyboardist uh, in rock bands and blues and jazz groups uh, off and on my whole life. And uh, the way I actually got into this is kind of a funny story. I, I was playing piano uh, just for fun at an uh, event for my department here at OHSU. And um, somebody came up to me and says, hey, I didn't know you played piano. I said, yeah, I've been doing it a long time. And she said, you know, um, this is Bobby Haggerty, and who's heavily involved in outreach here. And uh, she said, hey, I've got this group of people around Christmas time, and we always bring neuroscientists in to talk to them. Would you want to do like a, a little something about music and the brain? And I said, oh, that sounds like fun. And so I got my hands on all the literature I could find, all the books and papers, and uh, realized that about 60% of the publications were really not good science. Oh. Uh, and sorted out the good science from the bad science and then thought, you know, let's have some fun and put some music into it. And so I, you know, added some piano pieces to it and got people to sing in the middle of the talk and uh, put some humor into it and just thought I was going to do it the one time. Uh, didn't know that in the audience was like the, you know, the director of the Portland Youth Philharmonic and the Portland Symphony and uh, Valerie Day from the band New Shoes um, was there and all these other people. They all came up to me and they said like, how much do you charge to give this talk? <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said, charge? <laughs> and and um, uh, lo and behold, it turned into something much bigger. I've collaborated with all sorts of musicians and wonderful people over the years. Uh, I've given this talk probably 300 times in seven different countries now. And um, I, I love it because the what I find in my reading of the research and uh, is relevant to the work that I do in my lab. It... Um, it actually affects processes that are changed in people who have brain diseases, and it's it's remarkable. All right, thank you very much for that background. And 
Can you give us a, a, a glimpse, sneak peek, if you will, of what this presentation will be like? So, my assessment of this is it's not your typical higher education lecture series lecture, right? And so can you tell folks if, if they want to go, if they want to go live or, 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 or join in online, what will they be getting? What, what treats are in store? Well, they're going to be getting a lot of music, uh, anything ranging from Debussy to the Beatles. Um, they're going to be getting, uh, and that's live music. I'm going to be performing with members of the uh, uh, Central Oregon uh, uh, Symphony there uh, and a beautiful mezzo-soprano uh, whose, whose voice is fantastic. Uh, they're going to be uh, also hearing stories about um, the brain um, and how music affects the brain, uh, what our brain does when we learn to play an instrument, how that benefits our brains, uh, what we do when we perform music, uh, how our brain functions when we listen to music. And so you're going to get the whole range. I think it's uh, going to be of interest to people who are just curious about music or curious about the brain. Uh, it's also going to be interesting to people who teach music because we talk about you know what makes a good music teacher mm -hmm. and what makes a good music student um, and what's, what's happening and what's the best way to use that information to help you you know, get, get involved in music. So. All right. Uh, thank you. I wanted to just, if you don't mind really quickly, I have a, a list of the Dove String Quartet with violinist Sarah Ruzica. I hope I got that right. Meg Plitharo, uh, violist Leslie Knight and cellist Travis Allen, along with the fabulous mezzo soprano you brought up, Charlene Chi. I'm assuming that's how, uh, and you yep. say to fully immerse the audience on this topic. So you've done this a lot. And um, yep. obviously, right, 300 times that you said at least. How does the audience, how do you find the audience at the end of this? Oh, they love it. Um, it, it people just get, well, I, I've had people come up to me months after I've given this talk. They recognize me on the street and say, you know, after your talk, I picked up the violin that I hadn't picked up in 30 years and it's changed my life. I had a woman uh, who had had some brain injury and um, she was getting very depressed and um, couldn't play the high level of, you know, the, the, the music she was playing before. But, you know, she decided to go back and try maybe bluegrass or, or something or some other genre. And sure enough, that worked for her and it made a huge difference. Um, I've also just had people say that they just really enjoyed it themselves and, and they loved it because like, they actually uh, just to warn everybody at, at some point, especially the live audience where I can watch you. Um, I'm going to get you up, get you up out of your seat to sing some. So just be aware of that. So, uh, but people, people really respond to it. It's, um, it's a, it's a fun way to, uh, introduce the science and also to have an entertaining evening of music. And there are people listening here saying, I'm going and I'm a terrible singer, so I can't sing. So can you, <laughs> I guarantee that because that's what I'd be thinking. Um, what, um, bad, bad singers are welcome. Just, we, I always joke. It's like, if you sing, if those of you who sing well, sing louder, that's all that, that's all. It was. <laughs> okay. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, uh, for that bit. So, uh, Dr. Sherman, is it okay if we get into, to some of the, some of the science of this? Um, and I know you talk about both music making and music listening. Uh, we're mostly in the music listening business here on the on the radio. Although we do have live bands in, and we have singers and 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 all all, all kinds of of that sort of thing. But from the from the people like our audience, so how does pick whichever you want to talk about making music, being in a band, listening to music? How does that impact the brain, and why is it so beneficial? Yeah. So um, the the bad news is that um, listening to music, although it has lots of benefits. 
um, doesn't have the same benefits as uh, learning to play an instrument or challenging yourself. And it really is about the challenge. Um, and so one of the things that um, I was surprised about when I started getting into this talk um, is how much benefit there seems to be. So, um, and it doesn't matter if you're young or old. Um, they say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I, I think that's not true. It just takes longer. Um, so so what's interesting is that there's three major processes I discuss during this talk uh, that have to do with the brain. The first is um, a process that's near and dear to my heart because it's what I study in my lab, and that's called myelination. So myelin is uh, the substance that wraps around the wire part, if you will, of nerve cells. Um, and if you have myelin, it actually makes the nerve impulses travel much faster. So I always like to tell people uh, having myelin on a nerve cell is like uh, being able to drive on the Autobahn in Germany at midnight. You can go 200 miles an hour <laughs> and no one's going to stop you. It's not going to be a problem. But if you lose myelin, um, for those of your in your audience who are familiar with Portland, Oregon's traffic situation, uh, it's like driving on I-5 at the 84 interchange at rush hour where you're lucky to be going two miles an hour, right? So, so what that myelin does is it allows parts of our brain to communicate very rapidly with each other. And, and you can make myelin throughout your life when you learn to do new things. And there's been studies showing that it looks like we make new myelin when we challenge ourselves to learn a new instrument or even to learn a difficult piece on an instrument that we already play. Um, and that's remarkable. It just tells you how, how amazing our brains are and that our brains are actually capable of, of doing new things uh, over time. And it, it obviously works better in children. It's faster in children. Uh, but it also happens in adults. You just have to push yourself harder. And I think we all have had that experience, those of us like me over age 50 who, um, you know, you try to do something new and it just, it, you can't learn it as quickly as you used to. But you still can. And that's, and that's a big part of the message. And so, so, uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, I did a couple of questions. A couple of questions come up. One of them is, and this goes back sort of similar to the people who think they sing badly. Um, let's just, I mean, because I, I actually saw another interview you did and I thought, okay, I need to go out and find an instrument and start, start just trying it. Right. Uh, and I, I've, I played piano when I was really young and I, I didn't stick with it. I, I ended up being a football player and Honestly, my fingers are always mangled. Um, so, but if if you go out and pick up an instrument and just never get very good at it, let's just say you decide to play the saxophone and you're playing it badly, are you still getting the benefits? Are you still getting the myelin growth from working at playing the saxophone, let's say? Yeah, and that's actually something else what we're going to go over in this talk is um, when you're learning an instrument, um, there's, there's good ways to learn and there's bad ways to learn. Mm -hmm. And there's good ways to teach and there's bad ways to teach. Um, and so I think if you pick up an instrument, there's going to be that period where it's really, really hard. It, it's like just learning to play scales is not easy. A saxophone's a great example. Uh, there's, you got to learn the fingering, you got to learn the breathing. All, all these things are going into uh, putting that instrument together. And so I think the key is to be you know, persevere. Um, one, of the, one of the features of really good students is uh, something we call grit just having that perseverance and that ability to, uh, to really push yourself to keep learning. Um, but a strategy when you're learning is, um, you know, for example, uh, Dennis Plies, who I wrote this book with, um, he, he's been a teacher of music for many, many years. And he says, you know, one of the things that you see is that um, instead of working out the kinks uh, in a piece of music that you're learning or trying to teach yourself on a new instrument, 
uh, students often just kind of rush through it. Um, and they try to repeat the whole song all over again. And t- instead of finding that little piece of the music where they're having troubles or that little bit of, you know, how to move your fingers and the fingering and everything else. So if learning to work out the kinks and not having to repeat yourself over and over again, which gets really boring and really fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and kind of keeping your motivation up. It's so key to learning that instrument. So long as you keep on doing that, you're going to have those benefits. So, and myelination is just one of them that I, that I talk about. So. Uh, yeah, so um, uh, so a, a couple more questions come up, and one is um, there are other things, right, that we can learn and, and try anew. I mean, like Wordle, for example, or you know, as a popular cultural example, or or something that's also sort of a mind body thing, like yoga. Uh, why is music and, and learning to make music, and I'm assuming this is true, a, a better or more effective way? To, 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 you know, create more myelin and, and improve the brain? I think because music, pl- well, playing an instrument in particular, mm-hmm. singing to a lesser degree, but playing an instrument in particular, it puts such incredible demands on our nervous systems. Um, so think about playing a violin. Um, uh, you have to have your posture intact. You have to, um, there's the bow, you're moving the bow with one hand and then your other hand is fingering the strings and changing the positions of the fingers. And so what you're doing is if you think about, if you're reading music, if you're, if you're not reading music, it's something else is going on, but let's say you're reading music. So you're, you're taking information off this page in front of you. It's going into your eyes. It's going to the back of your brain where we process visual information. That's then going to other parts of your brain that recognize what those notes mean. And that's then telling parts of your brain that control your, your posture, your movements of your arms, the movements of your fingers, the pressure of your fingers, all these other things to do something, to play a note. And then that information is going back up to your brain to let you know that it's been done, that the position of your fingers was in the right place, and that's got to move again. It's a two-way conversation. So that's one aspect of it. That's just you know from the eyes to moving. You're hearing what you're playing, so you'll probably adjust how you're playing based on what you're hearing, or maybe you're playing with other people. And they're, you're going to adjust to what they're playing as well. So this auditory information is coming in and altering your brain and how you move and everything else. Um, cognitive function, right? So you're thinking about this piece. Is it making you sad? Is it making you happy? Is it making you angry? Because it's you just can't get that one note right right over, over time. There's all these things that are happening in our brains so when we engage in music that other activities do okay but not to the same extent. And I think that's the remarkable thing that really we push our brains in ways that are amazing when we engage in music. I would say probably the closest thing would be dance choreography, mm. where you're actually moving your body in very specific ways that you have to learn fine and gross motor, but also in response to auditory cues from the music, uh, visual cues from the people around you and moving and everything else. Uh, uh, those are really the kinds of challenges that, that we put our brains through to get these kinds of benefits. All right, and you have written a book on this, and I want to make sure we don't we don't miss that. Right, so uh, your book is "Every Brain Needs Music." That's right. right. Can, can you talk about that? You have a co-author. Maybe mention mention uh, him again. Yeah. It, what? And I, I, this may be the same answer you gave earlier, but what inspired you to write a book on this topic? So, so after giving this talk so many times um, and seeing how people got excited by it, I, I realized it was an opportunity to, um, you know, get the information out to more people, really. And um, Dennis Plies, who's the uh, co-author, 
Um, he's a, he plays like multiple instruments professionally. He's got recordings out there. Uh, and he was a professor of music at Warner Pacific University for many years, and he still teaches music. Uh, believe it or not, we met in the gym. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, uh, so I play racquetball at six in the morning and, uh, at a gym near me. And, uh, uh, one night, uh, and I, I'd seen this, I'd seen Dennis around the gym. I never really talked to him very much. Um, but one morning, uh, my racquetball partner and I were talking, and it was after I'd given one of my talks, and he just was asking me how my talk went. And Dennis overheard that and, and broke in and said, did you say you give a talk on music and the brain? And I said, yeah, yeah, I do. And he says, I've been to your talk. I've gone twice. It's amazing. I just didn't recognize you because you didn't have any clothes on. And so, <laughs> so, and so over the years, we'd have these long conversations in the locker room just talking about music and how much we loved it and, and all these things. And uh, I realized he'd be the natural partner to to, uh, to write this book. And what we did in this book is kind of unusual. We um, we sent out a survey to over a hundred musicians and musical people, uh, asking pointed questions about you know process, about how they learn, how they teach, how they perform, what goes on in their brains when they're they're experiencing music, performing music, um, and we used their responses to kind of um, and quotes from them uh, and uh, to really drive the different chapters of the book and. We we had a blast writing it together, and I, I feel like we just covered topics that just have not been covered before about how we compose, what's the difference between composing and improvising, um, how we learn, how we teach, um, how we perform, and how performance is different from practice and learning. And then just all the things about how we listen to music, how we become enamored by certain kinds of music or hate other kinds of music, and mm -hmm. all these big questions. And it was a blast. And uh, uh, so it's coming out early next year. Okay, great. I was going to ask that. So the book is completed. It's uh, it's on its way out relatively soon, I suppose. So you can, you can actually order it, pre-order it now on Amazon. Okay, so. great. Uh, Every brain needs needs music uh, by Larry Sherman and Dennis Plies. Dennis Plies. Okay, I was yeah. going to say Carl Plies for some reason. All right, Dennis Plies and uh, Larry Sherman and 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 uh, Dr. Sherman is giving. A presentation, uh, a multimedia, I think it's fair to say, with music and and audience uh, participation and his own, some of the insights you've heard here and uh, many, many more uh, at COCC Thursday, October 16th at 630. It's at Willie Hall on the Coates Campus Center. If you've never been to Willie Hall, it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, hall there and um you can uh, look for tickets at cocc uh, website cocc.edu so i i do uh, have a question uh, dr sherman i know that listening to music is not the same as uh as making music uh playing in a band but uh, are there some benefits to, uh, uh, to listening to music yeah you know it, there are and um in fact um you mentioned uh, um dementia and alzheimers uh and in fact what's amazing is People have been using music therapy for patients with a number of neurological conditions. And uh, one of the things that's incredible is even patients who have um, lost verbal skills, uh, the ability to initiate speech, if you start to play music that they're familiar with, they light up like Christmas trees. Uh, it actually activates the brain and sometimes even brings back some you know, transient verbal skills. And so... I think, you know, we, when we listen, listening to music, especially when we're young children, it actually is helping to wire and, uh, generate new connections in our brains over time. Um, really intentional music listening, I think, uh, has some real benefits, uh, to brain function for sure. And, uh, and of course, it's a great stress reliever. Uh, it, it can help us with emotional issues and everything else. So there's a lot of value to it. 
Um, but in terms of the structural changes to the brain over time, uh, performing music is just that next higher level uh, in terms of what it does for your brain. And you, you mentioned intentional uh, music listening. How is that different from, I, I guess, casual music listening? Yeah, I think, you know, when you're, I mean, I talked with that, a lot of the people in our survey answered that question. And, and they said, you know, when you're sitting in a concert, uh, really engaged in the music, really getting it, grooving, get, grooving on with it, and it's, it's a different experience than just having it on the background in your car while you're driving or um, music that we play in the, <laughs> in the right. store sometimes, right? And so uh, when I mean intentional, I mean, you're, you're really in, in it. Um, and there are songs that I think grab people and you're really engaged with them. And musicians even talk about how when they're intentionally listening, they're not only listening to the music, but they're actually imagining the movements of the musicians on their instruments. And, and that's incredible. Um, uh, it's, it's a real process. Uh, so it's much more intense. And we all do it uh, to some degree. All right. Uh, again, Dr. Larry Sherman, this is KPOV, uh, 88.9 FM, and the uh, Friday point during our membership drive. Uh, I, I want to thank you for joining us, and I'll get a little more about that, but is there anything else you'd like to add? We're, we're coming to the end of our uh, – We are. this is radio. <laughs> we're on a clock. But uh, is there anything else you, you'd like to add about the performance, about uh, music in general, your studies, your book? Yeah, so one of the things that came out of this talk, and, uh, and we're going to bring some of this to, to the talk next week, um, uh, the questions that we always have is, what do we do about music education and arts education in the schools? Um, and, you know, one of the things that really I'm convinced by now from all the studies that have been done is this is absolutely critical. Um, and so I, one of my missions is to take this on the, on the road and let people know the value of music for brain development and, and just for, for humanity. Uh, so I think uh, I think that's uh, an important point that gets lost sometimes. We're 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 very quick to keep our sports programs alive, and I'm I'm a huge sports fan. That's I, I get it, uh, but I think uh, taking music away is is as harmful as taking English classes away or math classes away. And I think it's it's really critical that we preserve that in our schools. All right. Yeah. Thank you very much for that. I'm very grateful. I uh, did have music in in school growing up, uh, even though I, I, I left the piano for football. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and I'm really grateful for for having had that. We actually had music class in uh, in I think fifth grade. It was a big thing. Uh, we had it every single day for the entire year, um, and I'm really very very grateful that that we had that. So. Um, Dr. Sherman, Dr. Larry Sherman, Professor of Neuroscience at Oregon Health and Sciences University. He'll be presenting uh, at COCC Tuesday, October 16th on Every Brain Needs Music with Music and Talk and Singing. Uh, that's at Willie Hall, Coates Campus Center. You can get tickets at COCC.edu. Dr. Sherman, thank you so much for joining us. We're really honored to have you. Thank you. It was fun. Thanks. Yeah, good. All right. Good luck, and uh, we'll see you soon. All right. Take All right. care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this KPOV podcast. KPOV is community radio for the high desert of Central Oregon. For more information and our program schedule, please visit kpov.org. We value your feedback. Drop us a note at podcast at kpov.org.